Multiply Church, how we doing today? Everybody's good. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, before we get started, I have a couple of, of quick announcements like we usually do, like throwing these out up front. I, I've told some people, um, like, the reason that I do these is because it gets me settled. It gets me, like, ready to rock and roll. But a couple of announcements that we have today. The first one is this. We have our men's retreat coming up. Yeah! Ladies, that's how you make noise when your retreat comes. You know what I'm saying? Let's try it. Let's, let's teach it one more time. Fellas, we have our men's retreat coming up. Yeah! what I'm talking about. Hey, listen, that's August the 4th through the 6th. We have over 40 men signed up already. I think we have three or four spots available. So if you're interested in that, please let me know. Make sure we have plenty of seats. We have our golf tournament. We're going to be shooting clays. We're going to be eating food. We'll be having a good time, all right? Just men being men. And the next thing I need to talk about is another uh, another, um, opportunity that we have to serve. It's September the 17th through the 24th, and we'll be heading back to Nicaragua. Now, here's the deal. Uh, we took a team uh, a few months ago, and it absolutely impacted our life. And, and if you haven't been a part of the church long, why do we keep going to Nicaragua? It's because we're planting a church in Nicaragua starting in September. Uh, so this is what you need to know. The gym that we are working with, the CrossFit gym that we're working with, um, they're moving into a new facility. We're going to be able to see anywhere from 100 to 120 people on a Sunday morning. Now, here's the deal. If a church in that area has 20, they're considered a large church. Now, this is something else that's unique. What we've, what we've seen every time that we've gone is that, that they, do, they do a good job at bringing the family into the church, but there's really never anything for the kids, right? So you'll have, like, kids sitting on the front row just hanging out, and, like, they want to play. They want to have a good time. And how many of you know that kids learn a little differently than adults, right? And so some of you are like, nope, I still learn like a kid, right? But we're able to go in and kind of do family ministry with these individuals, and it's going to be through CrossFit gyms. Now, here's our vision. Our vision is to have five locations in five years in Nicaragua. And we have an opportunity to go down September 17th through the 24th. We have three or four more spots available. So take a look at this video if you're questioning if you should go or not. I would say do it. Um, You don't have to have these big expectations going in. Just kind of do what I did. Go in with an open mind, and uh, God is faithful if you allow him to be. Definitely to, to go. Um, I, th- I think not only are you going to help people, um, you know, like we, we help people uh, build bricks or in the gym, anything like that, but you get so much out of it from yourself as well. Um, you know, it's, you focus on how you can help others, but when you come back, you realize how much help you got yourself out of, out of it as well. I would say 100% go on that mission trip. Um, it definitely is a step outside your comfort zone, but it's great to see like different perspectives and way that others live because it's definitely just a different world than what you experience on your day-to-day basis. It's the best decision you'll make all year. <laughs> uh, you can't go wrong with it. Um, the experiences that you'll gain from it, um, how much it'll open your heart to love, and um, how much it'll truly make you appreciate life um, and how thankful we are. Here's the deal. If you want more information, the, the email is on the screen. I, I know Luke, I know Brandy are here today. I'm not sure if Riley's here. I know Ashley's out of town. But, but here's the deal. We went as a group, and it absolutely changed our life. Listen, we went there to impact people, and they impacted our life. My life will never be the same after going to Nicaragua. So if you want more information, make sure you shoot us an email. The next two things that I have to tell you about is some celebration stuff that we're doing, some fun stuff that we're doing. Um, but one of them, I mentioned it last week. It's kind of funny. It's called the Faster Pastor Race. 
All right, it's this coming Tuesday at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I don't know who the knucklehead was that thought it would be a good idea for me to race a bus around Charlotte Motor Speedway. I mean, well, Chaz, you, you mentioned it, but, but somebody else had to approve it. And somebody approved me driving a bus. Now, don't worry. I did some research last night. All right, I watched Talladega Nights. All right. I watched Days of Thunder. All right. Tom Cruise was like 12 in that movie. All right, but I, I watched that, and I've been listening to Stacking Pennies by Corey LaJoy, so he's teaching me how to rate. He told me that he was going to show up so he could do some safety modifications to the bus. Hopefully, it makes it go a little faster, uh, but that's this Tuesday. Man, bring the family out. I think it's 10 bucks for adults. Kids under 12 are free. Uh, we have a good group that's going out, but we're just going to celebrate and have a good time and just tell people about the church. And, and the next thing that I want to tell you about is the Lee's celebration. So we announced last week that Paul and Nicole had the opportunity to move back to Long Island. And August 7th, we're going to be doing a big going away party for them. Uh, the Rafferty's have opened up their house on the lake. Uh, so we'll be emailing out that address. And this is what I would ask. Please carpool so that we don't have 100 cars uh, in their neighborhood taking up all the streets, all right? So we'll be emailing that out. That's going to be at 3 p.m. on August the 7th. So here we go. We're wrapping up this 10-week series. We've been in this series called Living for More. And what does it truly mean to, to live for more? We've been asking a few questions every single week. And, and the first question that I've asked almost every week for the past 10 weeks is who or what is at the center of your life? Who or what is at the center of your life? And what we've determined is that a life worth living always has Jesus at the center. It always has the gospel message at the center. And then we've been asking the question, how are you involved in the local church? I think there's many people in this room that, that if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll come to church on a Sunday morning and we'll consume and consume and consume and we'll never pour out. We'll never use our gift set to impact the local church. But before you can impact the local church, we, we said this, what's your divine design? What's your Ephesians 4 gifting? What's your apest? Are you an, an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher? We've been reading through Ephesians chapter 4. And then we asked this question, what gate are you called to impact? There are seven gates that we've broken down, whether it be entertainment or education or family, or health, or business, government, or media, wherever you find yourself on this spectrum, what gate are you called to impact? Last week, I made the comment, if you find purpose and you find meaning, then you'll absolutely be able to make it through anything that life throws at you. So what's your purpose? What's your meaning? What is God calling you to do, man, I'm looking around the room and I, and I know there are people in different industries across the board, but God has called you to impact the kingdom wherever you are. Now, I got to give you, I got to give you a little bit of a, a history lesson. Uh, before I do that, I watched Thor Love and Thunder. Um, let me, I won't ruin the movie, but let me save you uh, the pain and the hurt. It, it's maybe a C plus at best. All right. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. It's a C plus at best. Maybe a B minus, but but here's the deal: before Thor, but before the Avengers, right? Before Hulk, before Iron Man. I was gonna say Superman, but that's DC. You can't do that, right? But but before all before all of these superheroes, before Spider Man, before Black Widow. I think I said Iron Man. Before um, Hawkeye, before Guardians of the Galaxy, before Captain Marvel. We had two. Um, how can I put it? Uh, lesser known superheroes. Did anybody, did anybody grow up watching the Wonder Twins? Any Wonder Twin fan? fan Y'all were like, I don't, you were like, I don't want to show my age. <laughs> like, like, right, right. 
But, but where, who watched the Wonder Twins? Raise your hand if you watched the Wonder Twins. Everybody under the age of 40 is like, I have no idea what Zach's talking about right now. But, but the Wonder Twins were these two twins who were superheroes. Now, here, here's the deal. For them to kind of activate their superpower, they had to t- be able to touch hands, right, or touch fists and say what? Wonder Twin powers activate. It was better than Love and Thunder, I promise you. <laughs> but but, but here, here's the thing. Uh, there, there were two characters. There was Jana and there was Zan. Zan. And, and Jana, she had a cool kind of superpower. She could transform into any animal that she wanted to. She could transform into an elephant. She could transform into a pterodactyl. She could transform into a saber-toothed tiger or a gorilla or a lion. Anything that she wanted to transform into. Her brother could transform into water. And like he had some, he, he would try to make it cool. He'd be like, I want to transform into a jetpack. And it'd be like a jetpack made of ice. It's like, that's not creative. I watched one of the episodes just to kind of do my research. And in uh, and, and one episode, he goes, transform into a thundercloud. And I'm like, that is so cheesy and lame. So like, it's this old anime cartoon and he's a little cloud with a face. It's like, your sister got the cool stuff. You... You got, I can't say what I want to say, but you, you got looked over. <laughs> you, got, you got looked over. It's like when we read the Bible, and sometimes when we read Scripture, we read books as if they're separate. We, we read books as if they're not together, as if they're not chronological, as if they're not a part of an entire story. Today, I want to take a look at Ezra and Nehemiah. I, I want to talk about revival and renewal. I want to talk about why there's a difference, why it matters, and why we need both. So Ezra and Nehemiah. Now let me give you some real biblical context. Uh, Here's the deal. In the Jewish canon, these two books are actually considered one book. So this is a chronological story that kind of moves from one book from Ezra into Nehemiah. And, And what we know about Ezra and Nehemiah is that what we see is 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Now, I want to submit to you today that that I'm a firm believer that Babylon isn't necessarily a geographical location today, but Babylon is a culture. And this type of culture has everything to do with complete disregard to God, complete disregard to his name, to his morals, to everything that the kingdom stands for. It's not a different viewpoint or a different way of thinking or seeing the world. It's absolute evil and it's absolute wickedness. As I teach through this today, I'm going to let you draw your own lines of correlation, all right? But, but this is what I'm learning about Babylon. You can't argue with Babylon. You can't reason with the Babylonian culture. You can't compromise with Babylon. In fact, I would say this. There's no win-win situation where you can exist, the kingdom of God, and Babylon exists, the, the culture and society that I think that we're living in. What I know is this, you have to confront Babylon in the power and in the authority of the Holy Spirit. Because God can only take so much Babylon before he says something along the lines of, it's time for me to show up. So what would it look like if we're living in a Babylonian culture? Again, you can draw your own correlations, but let me give you the context of Scripture. Because in Scripture, the whole city of Jerusalem was neglected. Everything that represented family was destroyed. Again, draw your own correlation. Everything that represented worship was destroyed. Everything that represented business was absolutely destroyed. 
Again, Babylon represents the gates of hell and the spirit of the Antichrist. Babylon represents everything that stands against God. It's evil and it's wickedness. But Jerusalem, Jerusalem represents the gates of heaven. Jerusalem represents the spirit of the living God. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruits of the spirit. And when Babylon is overtaking a culture, oftentimes you can feel overwhelmed. And then we start asking these questions or making these statements like, would my voice even matter? Would me standing for the kingdom even matter? Would me having an outward expression of Christ in my life even make an impact in the world that I live in? Has this culture gone too far? Where do I even start? Because there's too many things for me to point to. And God says, listen, it's very simple. You start at the altar. You start in my presence. Again, we're going to be in the book of Ezra and in Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament But Ezra chapter 3 starts out like this. In early autumn when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem, check this out, with a unified purpose. Key point, with a unified purpose. Then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, joined his fellow priest and Zerubbabel, son of Shatil. Try saying all those names fast. (laughs) With his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. So if we drill down a little bit, if we get a little more specific, they didn't, they didn't just show up at the temple. They didn't just show up at church. They showed up at the altar. They started rebuilding the altar. Remember back to last week. We all showed up to church. If you were here last week, we showed up to church last week, but where do we end? We ended at the altar. Very intentional, very specific. I think it's important that we as a church, that the global church recognizes the power of the altar what would happen in our life what would happen in our communities if we began to experience the power of the altar if we take a look at the book of Ezra in chapter 3 verse 8 through 13 what we see is the rebuilding of the temple but before that if we go all the way back to Ezra 3 1 we see the rebuilding of the altar it was the altar that got rebuilt first any attempt to rebuild after Babylon has to start at the altar, because revival always starts at the altar. If you want revival in your family, then start at the altar. If you want revival in your marriage, then start at the altar. If you want revival in your business, then start at the altar. If you want revival in your relationships, then you have to start at the altar. Everything comes out of the altar of your life. I'll have to go back to week one, what's at the center of your life. Because whatever's at the center of your life is what you're making the altar in your life. If Jesus is at the center of your life, then he's at the altar of your life. But if your own selfish ambitions and desires are at the center of your life, then that's the altar of your life. What are we making the altar of our life? You want to see something miraculous happen in your life? You want to see God show up in your life? You want life change in a specific area? Then I have to ask you the question, what does the altar of your life look like? There's a few things that will oppose revival, that oppose the altar. And we see that if we continue to read in Ezra chapter 4. So Ezra chapter 4, verse 4, Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They bribed the officials to work against them and to frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And at the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah 
and Jerusalem. Four specific things that oppose the rebuilding of the altar. Now, who, who is this group of people? If you go back and, and you read the scripture, what you find is this wasn't a group of people from outside the temple or outside the church. It was actually a group of people from the inside. Sometimes your greatest opposition will come from the inside. How, how do you identify that opposition and how do you address the opposition? So the first four things, how do we identify them? The, the first one is this, the people around them set out to discourage the people. Again, it was the people around them that tried to discourage them. And if there are people around you in your life that you are allowing to discourage you, let me let you in on a secret. You get to, to determine who you let in your life and you don't. Oh, pastor, you just don't know. I can't, I, I've known them for 15 years and, and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Listen, if you want a better life and you don't want to be discouraged, then kick them out of your life. If it's your spouse, y'all work it out. You can't kick them out, all right? But if, if you're getting discouraged, you get to determine who you want to allow in your life. And, and then what do we see? They came in, they discouraged them, and they made them afraid to go on building. They made them afraid. See, culture is so hostile towards God. Our culture that we're living in is hostile towards Christ followers. And then we get a little nervous. Well, what if people see me as unloving? What if, what if I get canceled? What if I get called names? What, what if I lose my reputation? I couldn't give a flying flip what my reputation is before men. I'm worried about my reputation before God. And if more people would worry about their reputation before God, then I promise you our culture and our society would change. We're too worried and concerned. I said fly and flip. I didn't mean to scare y'all because y'all's eyes got really big. I apologize. Matt was like, oh, God, what is he going to say? It's like new people like, oh, oh what's he going to say? But we're so concerned with our reputation before men. We're so concerned with how the world sees us opposed to our reputation before God. They used this fear tactic. And then what did they do? They bribed officials to work against them to frustrate their plans. Your plans ever been frustrated? Your plans starting a business ever been frustrated? I promise you this, my plans, uh, plans to plant a church have been frustrated. We're we supposed to be digging some dirt right now. My plans were frustrated. I, I was hoping we were going vertical with the building by now. My plans were frustrated. Trying to grow your family, your plans have been frustrated. Trying to retire, your plans have been frustrated. Where's the frustration in your life? Here's the reality. Frustration's going to come. It's how you deal with it that matters. It's how you deal with it that matters. And then what happens? At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. So they used all these scare tactics. They tried to bribe some people. And then what did they do? They just flat out started lying. We see it in society, right? Like these Christians are dangerous. They don't, they don't love everyone. But these false accusations actually led to King Artaxerxes ordering them to start building. But I have to ask the question because if you continue to read the book, if you continue to read Ezra, the temple was built, the altar was built. So what reignited revival? What reigniting, what reignited the building process? You have to keep reading in Ezra chapter 5, picking up in verse 1. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, prophesied 
to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, and in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel and Jeshua arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. These two verses are so powerful, and many of us, including myself, will just gloss over them. But, but let's dive a bit deeper. We need people with the prophetic gift to rise up, declare the word of the Lord, and speak encouragement and support towards leadership. Plain and simple. Because when the prophetic gift declares the word of the Lord and speaks encouragement and supports spiritual leadership, it ignites revival. I'm not making this stuff up. Let me reread the text to you. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, what did they do? They prophesied to the Jews. Let me give you some modern context. What does that mean? They spoke up to the whole group. They opened their mouth. They supported their leadership and they supported each other. They didn't just open their mouth and said, this is the way that it's going to be and leave the scene. No, they opened their mouth, said, this is the way that's going to be. And then they stood beside and behind who they were supporting. What does it look like to prophesy? Again, what happens, Zerubbabel and Jeshua arose and began to rebuild. You hear it all the time at this church. I'll continue to say it. We don't just talk about it. We're going to be about it. We're not just going to talk about expanding the kingdom. We're going to be about expanding the kingdom. But what I'm learning about prophecy is this. Prophecy is encouraging leadership. Prophecy is unity. Prophecy is regathering. Prophecy is building. And prophecy is the fire of the altar. Now, some of you might be out there and you might be thinking, all right, well, isn't, isn't prophecy like telling the future? Sometimes. Sometimes. But sometimes it's declaring the word of the Lord over the future. Go back to Ezra 3.3. Even the people were afraid of their local residents. What what does that mean? It means that not everybody is going to like what you're going to do. Not everybody is going to like what I have to say. Not everybody is going to understand the way that we lead this church. Not Not everyone is going to see the full picture. But what does scripture say that they do when they didn't? When they didn't agree or they didn't understand, Scripture says that they gossiped and complained. If you're nodding your head like this, you're wrong. I made that up. Scripture says that they talked behind everyone's back doing their own thing. Uh Uh-uh. Scripture says that they faked it like they were on board. Scripture says that they got all their friends and went to another church. No, what does Scripture say? Scripture says they rebuilt the altar and its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning an evening. What would it look like if we rallied together and started building? Could, could you imagine as they're gathering this group of people to rebuild the altar and, and someone walked over to you and said, hey, will, will you help build? Hey, hey Mike, will you, will, you help, will you help us build the altar? Gio, will you help, us, like, will you help, build, will you help build the altar? Matt, will you help? Like, will you help us build the altar? Like, it's weird if I'm standing up here, but it, like, and I know I get down from stage often, but, but what, like, what if somebody was standing in front of you, hey, will you, will you help us rebuild the altar of the Lord? Like, will you, will you truly help us rebuild the altar of the Lord? Because we can talk about rebuilding, and I can talk about this from the stage, but, but like Sam said earlier, it's not my job to do all the building. If you think it's the pastor's job to do all the building, one, you'll never be satisfied, and two, you'll always bounce around from church to church. It's not my job to do all the building. It's our job collectively to build. 
what does it look like for us to rebuild the altar of the Lord in Lake Norman? I can talk about old revivals. I can give you the historical context of the Azusa Street Revival. It's how the Assemblies of God got started. Some of you are old enough to remember the Brownsville revivals. We can talk about Brownsville. I can talk about the Lakeland revivals, but all of those are over. All of those have passed. And what I believe is that we need another revival. And I have to ask this question, so what are we going to do about it? We can talk about it or we can be about it. And if we're about it, then what does it start with? It starts with rebuilding the altar. You say, Zach, well, how, how do I do that? Well, think back to last week. You can only live out of what's inside of you. If Jesus is at the center of your life, then you can help rebuild the altar. If it's Jesus, then you rebuild the altar in your home, and then you rebuild the altar in your church. Let me give you the historical context of what happened the rest of the book of Ezra so that we can get to Nehemiah. So in Ezra, in a nutshell, the altar in Ezra was rebuilt. The temple was restored. The glory of God falls. There's repentance inside the temple. There's restoration of the Passover. And then the word of God is preached. So it sounds like everything is in order, right? It sounds like Jerusalem is in order. But then we read Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed. I told you at the beginning of the message that these two books are, they're chronological, they're in order. So you mean to tell me that the altar is rebuilt, everything is, is going good inside the church, and then all of a sudden in the city it seems like everything's falling apart. It doesn't make sense if the altar was rebuilt, if the temple was restored, if there's restoration of the Passover, if the word of God is being preached, then, then what's happening? Where's the disconnect? That would be like us coming to church on a Sunday morning and having an altar experience, having an encounter with God, and then us going to work on Monday morning, and we start hearing of people's pain and struggles and discomfort and how their life is following, falling apart and never mentioning the name of Jesus. Because when we read it in a story, we're like, how, how does that even happen? But then we put it in our day-to-day -day life. It's, well, are you carrying the gospel message to your community? Or are you just living out of your altar experience and hoarding it to yourself? God help us if the fires of the altar don't reach the walls and the gates of our city. We've been talking about the city. We've been talking about the gates. I've been talking about education and family, health, business, government, media, entertainment. I've been talking about all of them for 10 weeks ad nauseum. Hopefully you get it by now. Hopefully some of you learn by repetition, and I've been repeating it a lot. All right? But God, help us if what we experience on a Sunday morning doesn't reach our community. Then we're just doing it all wrong. See, Satan doesn't want the fire to return to the temple. Satan doesn't want the fire to return to the church. But if it does, you better believe he will do everything in his power to keep it inside the church. So it doesn't get outside the walls of the church. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah complains about the walls being down. Nope. Nehemiah gives up. Nope. Nehemiah waits for someone else to start building. No, not at all. Nehemiah goes to work on the walls and he begins with the gates. About three years ago, our phrase for the year was be strong and work, and it came from this scripture. It came from Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. Why have we been talking so much about walls, and, and why have we been talking so much about gates? It's because gates are the keys to the city, and whoever controls the gates controls the city. 
Whoever controls the family gate will control Lake Norman. The question is, are you letting society control your family or are you controlling your family? Listen, whoever controls the gate of education, that's a big one, will control the gate of the city. Are you trusting in the educational system to teach your kids about God? Hope not. Hey, let let me go a step further. If you're trusting the church to teach your kids about God, you're still missing the mark. God has entrusted those kids to you for you to teach them about Jesus. We'll reinforce it here. But if this is the only time, if Sunday morning is the only time that they're hearing about Jesus, then we've missed the mark. If my daughters are only hearing about Jesus from a Sunday morning kids' church, one, remove me as the pastor, and two, I've missed my mark as a parent. Man, one of of the things that lit my soul up this week, I walked downstairs, went to work out yesterday, walked downstairs, took a shower, and and my wife has worship music playing uh, in the kitchen. And then I was like, Piper, we got to run to the store, we got to go pick some stuff up, and and Piper rode with me, and and I said, we'll listen to some music in the car, and she says, Daddy, I want to listen to worship music. Listen, I mess up a lot as a parent, but if one thing I get right is teaching my kid how to worship, then I think we're on the right track. How how do we truly pour in to that gate? Now, let me give you some more historical context. Uh, So historically, there were many different different gates in Jerusalem. There was the Sheep Gate, the Fish Gate, the Old City Gate, the Valley Gate, the Dung Gate. Don't know what that one is. The Fountain Gate and the Water Gate. Not Nixon, all right? before Nixon. But y'all, y'all notice this. What was next to the water gate and the fountain gate? It was the dung gate. Some of y'all need to get some stuff out of your life before it affects the rest of the body. Listen, if the dung gate wasn't operating properly, then all the dung would get into the fountain and get into the water. What's this stuff in your life? That's a sermon for another time, but let me keep moving forward. It can't stop with Ezra. It can't stop with just the altar. Ezra needs Nehemiah. The altar needs the city, but here's the deal. The city also needs the altar. See, Ezra without Nehemiah is spiritual narcissism, but Nehemiah without Ezra is justice without mercy. Zach, what are you talking about? If we just read the book of Ezra and we don't move on to Nehemiah, what we're saying is, we've got it figured out in the church and I'm taken care of. Spiritual narcissism. But, but if we look at Nehemiah without Ezra, what we see is we see justice without mercy. What we see is, well, they deserve that. No, what they deserve is the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. I, I made a post, I made a post this past week, I, I reposted something that I saw that absolutely wrecked me. But could you imagine Saul or Paul? So Saul was the guy who killed Christians, right? He killed Christians, like beheaded them, cut their heads off. And then he starts following Jesus. And then he's like, hey guys, I messed up. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to kill that many people, but let's follow Jesus now. Could you imagine the moment that he walks into heaven that the people that he killed are actually cheering him on? It doesn't make sense. Sometimes the gospel message doesn't make sense sense, but what would it look like? We all deserve, or we don't even deserve it. That's not true. We don't deserve it, but God gives freely love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy. It's Ezra and Nehemiah. It's revival and renewal. It's the temple and the walls. It's the church and the city. 
And what I've realized over the past 10 weeks is that Jesus has to be at the center to experience any of this. Jesus has to be at the center for the altars to be rebuilt, for the temple to re- be rebuilt, for the city to be rebuilt. There's a few lessons that we see from Nehemiah on restoring the gates and rebuilding the walls. I'm going to hit these quickly. And the first one is this. Sometimes great projects are birthed out of great pain. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Anybody ever had sadness of the heart? Like you ain't sick. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just hurting on the inside. You're hurting on the inside. And a miscarriage can be painful. The loss of a loved one can be painful. A mom relapsing on heroin over and over and over again can be painful. Knowing that someone is close to you but running from Jesus can be painful. Failing at a business venture can be painful. But you can't ignore the pain. You have to lean into the pain. And I also recognize this, reading Nehemiah, great vision will draw great opposition. If you're taking notes, go back and read Nehemiah chapter 4 later. In Nehemiah chapter 4, we're introduced to two characters, Tobias and Sanballat. And these two cats, man, they ridiculed the Jews. They called them weak. They said what they were doing was stupid because what they saw was for 72 years, the walls were destroyed. But then Nehemiah says, I'm going to work. I'm going to build. I'm going to gather some people to build with me. And what they didn't see happen for 72 years, through their yes, God built the walls in 52 days. For 72 years, the walls were destroyed. And in 52 days, God rebuilt them using people. What can God do through us for the next 52 days? Because I'm tired of hearing, well, Lake Norman is just, Lake Norman is just lost. Lake, Lake Norman is just far from God. Lake, Lake, there's no hope for Lake Norman. No church can survive in Lake Norman. Yeah, there's people that are lost here, but what can God do through you in 52 days to reach those people? What can God do through you to rebuild the walls in 52 days? Why? Because Nehemiah 4, 6 says this, the people work with all their heart. Now, it's easy for me to step off the stage and go, hey, will you help me build? Hey, will you be a part of this thing? Will you help build? Will you help build? And it's like, yeah, you're standing in front of me. I think I have to say yes. I can't say no in front of everybody. But it's another thing to build with all your heart. What does building with all your heart look like? That means when, when e- even if you don't feel like it, you continue to build. Even when God isn't answering your prayers the way that you want God to answer your prayers, you continue to build. Even when your business isn't where you want it to be, you continue to build. Even when you feel like you're distant from God, you continue to build. What does scripture say? That people work with all their heart. And then we read Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. And I want to break this one verse down. The God of heaven will give us success, and we as servants will rise and build. Again, let's break down, very simple, let's break down this verse in its entirety. What's the first thing that we see? We see the God of heaven. The God of heaven. Not Nehemiah the prophet, but the God of heaven. Not Josh the engineer, but the God of heaven. Not Greg the business owner, but the God of heaven. Not Brittany that works at the church, 
but the God of heaven. The God of heaven. Not Stephen the coach, but the God of heaven. Not Zach the pastor, but the God of heaven. So the God of heaven will what? Will give us success. God didn't say, hey, Nehemiah, get your boys and start building. And when you get halfway, I'm going to remove my favor. I'm going to remove my power. And then you're going to be the laughing stock of the community. No, God says, hey, Nehemiah, get your boys and start to build. When God looks at us as a church, God didn't say, hey, Zach, let's plant a church with 36 people. Let's have some success. Let's build it halfway. And then I'm going to remove my favor and I'm going to remove my power. And you'll be the laughing stock of the community. No, God says get to work and start building because whatever God calls you to, he will absolutely complete. Listen, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with having these chairs, just these chairs full. We're going to two services in the fall, the week after Labor Day. Why? Because there are more people that need to hear about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And we have to continue to make room. Why are we planting a church in Hickory? Because there are lost people in Hickory that need to know the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. Why are we talking about planting a church in Huntersville? Because there's people in Huntersville that need to know the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. What would it look like for us to build with all of our hearts? But this is the posture that we have to take. We, his servants. We as servants. Hey, newsflash, we'll never be the main character. We're not supposed to be the main character. We're always playing a secondary role. This is bigger than all of us. We can't do this alone, but we can absolutely do it together. Go back to the beginning. It's like Wonder Twin Powers activate. We absolutely need each other. How do we do it? We've been preaching on it for 10 weeks through Ephesians chapter 4, through the APEST model, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the, evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. So we as servants will do what? We will rise and build. We will rise and build. Are there any Harry Potter fans in the room? You are like, this is a trick question. Can I raise my hand in church about Harry Potter? Like one person did this. I'm like, me. I saw that hand. It's like the correct pastor thing to say, right? I like Harry Potter. If you leave the church, I'm sorry. We can have the conversation later. But I like watching the movies. If you remember in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Potter goes into Dumbledore's office and there's this phoenix sitting on a perch. And this phoenix in that moment, it dies and it turns into ashes. But what do we know about the phoenix? From the ashes, it rises. It was a new phoenix. See, the phoenix is a mythical creature. But it's a myth that's born out of a longing for truth. And I believe that truth is that within humanity, there is a knowing that we are surrounded by ashes and we're longing for a rebirth out of those ashes. But there's something within humanity that knows that only resurrection can bring about true revival and renewal. Lake Norman needs revival. Hey, newsflash, our nation needs revival. But it starts with us. And it starts at this altar. It starts with us rebuilding the altar of our life. So what does God need to revive in you today? Maybe God needs to revive a marriage and you need to find yourself at the altar. Maybe God needs to revive joy in your life and you need to find yourself at the altar. Maybe God needs to revive faith in your life 
get very practical. Maybe God needs to revive your business. What does God need to revive in your life? Regardless of what it is, it starts at the altar. Don't be too proud to stay in your seat. I was, I was working on the sermon this week. And I felt, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt it in my gut that God wanted me to say this today. And I'm going to read it directly. For some of you in the room, your revival is on the other side of your pride. Your revival is on the other side of you losing your pride and moving from your seat and getting at the altar. Well, well Zach, I don't want to be seen as weak. Zach, I, I, I don't want to worry about what people think about me. I don't want people to think that, that I have something drastically wrong in my life. Listen, I ain't caring about what people think about you. I'm care, I care about your relationship with God. Lose your pride and sit in front of the Father and let Him revive whatever situation He needs to revive in your life. Hey, if I could, I'm going to ask uh, Keith and Malia, can I ask you guys to go to this side? Uh, Brittany and Justin, can I ask you guys to go to this side? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to open up the altar for prayer. Maybe, maybe you need to have someone pray over you. Kay, can I get you and Toby to come up as well and just have an extra body, an extra couple? Maybe, maybe you need someone to pray with you and for you. People are here. They don't bite. They're going to pray over you. Maybe, maybe the reason we left the center open, maybe you need to get along with God by yourself. Maybe you just need to build your own altar. Maybe you need to find yourself at the feet of Jesus. So for the next few minutes, as we step into worship, it's Ezra and Nehemiah. It's revival and renewal, but it all starts at the altar. It all starts right here. Hey, thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.